Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Demand Jump, Christopher Day. In the age of digital marketing, so much time and expense is wasted in optimizing consumer data into real results. Our next guest has decades of experience under his belt, but his eye for the changing future of marketing is perhaps the key to his success story. Demand Jump launched in 2016 after a year of research and development between Chris and his co-founder, Sean Schwegman. Demand Jump has always aimed to be an industry leader in its field and knows that the importance of analyzing marketing data comes in the form of the full story. What are customers doing when they see the content? What are competitors doing? And what can we do to optimize our approach? Demand Jump has accrued multiple Fortune 100 clients and accolades since its launch and seems to be poised to become the first call when clients need a robust way of taking their digital marketing strategy to the next level. Demand Jump is growing like crazy. So Christopher, let's get into it, my man. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Drew. Great to be here. Yes, sir. So tell me, how in the world did we get into this? What led to, uh, to the starting of this company? Yes, it, it, was, it was 20 years of failures in marketing across eight different businesses. Um, and so, you know, somehow by mistake, I turned into a serial entrepreneur. It wasn't what I planned on when I was growing up. Um, but I, I have a real passion for, you know, looking for pain points, looking for problems that companies have and seeing if, if I could maybe figure out a way to, to find people smarter than me to try to tackle that pain point and solve it in a, in a more unique, novel and, and elegant way. Um, so I, you know, the first business I had was a painting company in college. I had 14 employees in college. Wow. Fast forward to, to the mid to late twenties, I started a broadband uh, company. Um, had an automated meter reading company, uh, a real estate development company, bottled water company, a dot-com company, an investment banking firm. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of businesses at the moment, but through all those experiences, I was always frustrated with, with marketing. And it, it's, I don't think it's, it, it's never been the marketer's fault. Um, you know, they can't see, touch and feel the data they really need. Every other department in a company, you know, finance, you know, operations, sales, even warehousing, they all have a platform that they can put finite known data into um, and, and then make better decisions, right? Business intelligence. Um, if they can run that data and make better decisions on how to get a, a box, you know, pick, packed and ship faster or, um, you know, how to improve accounts receivable or whatever it might be in those departments. But marketers are still flying blind. And again, it's not their fault. Um, and I don't think it was probably even possible to start tackling these problems until the last maybe seven, maybe 10 years tops. Um, because, you know, we as a society didn't have computational power uh, and database structures to even, to even do it. Um, so that, that was really how it came about. I, I, was, I was frustrated with all those businesses and kind of fig- thinking that and feeling like or knowing, I guess, that marketing dollars kind of went into a black hole. I really never knew what we got back out of it. Yeah. And I met uh, my partner, Sean Schwegman, um, when I had the investment banking firm. And I knew if I wanted to go solve this pain point that had been bugging me for 20 years, uh, that's the guy to go do it with. And, and Sean was, 
at Overstock. He was a CMO there from, uh, I think it was two or 3 million all the way up to 800 million. And, um, and so we talked about this idea for probably a couple of years before we ever actually started it. And, uh, and that's how the main jump was formed. All right. I've got to ask you listed, I don't know, 10 companies that you said in, in 20 years. And in my, in my mind, I'm hearing 20 lifetimes. How, how in the world in 20 years were you able to start that many companies Were some of those uh, never got past infancy or did they all get to some level of like maturity? Like, how, how did you even have time for that many companies? So, you know, it's funny you say that because there is an old adage. You can only sit on one toilet. Um, and so um, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And so yeah. during one of those, during the utility, uh, the automated meter reading company where we focus on utilities um, during that stint, um, uh, I had, uh, was it three companies at one time? And, and it was, it was insane. Um, so uh, all of those companies were successful um, except for one. And, um, you know, I don't know, I guess a glutton for punishment or insane. Um, I, I definitely, as I've grown older, um, I definitely like just focusing on one company um, at a time. That's, that gives a much better work-life balance. So it was a little chaotic, I would say, uh, from, uh, 40 years and, and under, um, I, it was some self-induced chaos. Um, yeah. the, last, the last decade is, is, uh, focusing on one company at a time. Interesting. Now, again, I'm just curious and we won't spend forever in your past, but you know, the statistic as well as I do, most ideas don't turn into successful companies. You you have had a string of successful companies, even if you've changed your philosophy some and yeah, I'm going to focus on one versus many at a time. Why do you think you had such a string of success with these companies, the idea themselves, the execution, what are some things that come to mind? I think it's, uh, I think it really comes down to one word and it's perseverance. Mm. Uh, it is putting one foot in front of the other. Um, you're, you're going to get, slugged in the face, you know, uh, uh, whether it's on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or things go great for three months, then something happens out of left field and you just get a punch in the gut. And, and it is just the determination to put one foot in front of the other and come hell or high water, you know, we're going to make this thing successful. And I, I think I, I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere in Indiana. Um, and we grew up, um, German Baptist, which I call Amish, you know, with wheels. So my, my dad wore the hat and mom wore the bonnet and all that kind of fun stuff. No TV, no radio. Wow. And all I knew growing up was I didn't want to farm that farm with a three bottom plow and an old farm all my whole life. Right. So I, I'm like, there has to be a better world out there. something different I can do. And, um, um, and my dad taught work ethic. That's the one big thing he drilled into us was work ethic and do what you say you're going to do and think three steps ahead and you'll just be, you'll be just fine. And so I think that carried over into, um, you know, to, to, what I ended up doing in life. Right. And it's just, yeah. Together and not, not everything's going to go rosy. Um, you know, you, you know, we always see the headlines, you know, right. And, you know, some of these exits, like an Instagram exit or whatever. Well, Instagram almost went under. It wasn't even Instagram before it became Instagram. And, but, but nobody ever, nobody knows those stories, right. You don't talk right. about things at the cocktail parties, right. You talk to them and you talk about them in private, you know, peer groups, CEO groups, um, you know, when you're in the, you know, what you're, why you're in the fetal position sometimes on a nightly basis, you know, worrying about, you know, your team and growth and, um, you know, competitive issues and all those kind of fun things. Yeah, man. 
Well, I was going to ask where you think that perseverance came from and, and you, you beat me to the punch. Uh, but to follow up on that, I'm curious, first is just a, almost an anecdotal data for me. You know, we hear often like in the idea of the startup J curve and things like that, that there's often a key pivot from what we thought the idea was to as it's getting actually introduced to customers, we realize it's this, not that. Maybe the model looks like this. As you look back at the the variety of companies you have, how many of those involved some kind of key pivot in the strategy or the product or service versus how many were pretty much what you thought it was from the jump? I would say probably half and half. Um, okay. It would be my rough guess. Um, you know, back in the 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 broadband business, we we first started off building kind of these. Um, you know, our biggest first pitch was was better service. Our, our pitch to the multifamily community was, "Hey, we're not going to run cables across the side of your building or over your sidewalks and leave them there for, you know, weeks and months on end and and increase your liability." Um, you know, which is kind of typical of what the MSOs would do. Um, and then we came across a technology that allowed us to turn on and turn off people's cable remotely. So we had systems in three states. And if you turn off somebody's cable, the rent check shows up real quick. Um, and so that kind of became our, our pitch. And then we figured out how to uh, tariff dark fiber. Um, and that was done with Ameritech at the time. And, but we figured out how to build one head-end system uh, and tariff dark fiber through Ameritech um, and basically become an MSO ourselves, you know, like the, the Comcast or the Time Warners or, or the Coxes or the Charter Cables, right? All those companies of the past. And, um, but we could do it for much cheaper, much, much more economical than having to string lines, you know, down the road ourselves, um, which also involves a lot of regulatory issues. Um, and back in the day, this is back in the dot com, the pre dot bomb, I like to say. Yeah. Days. yeah. And um, uh, we also um, figured out how to deliver uh, 1.5 meg symmetrical internet speeds, which was unheard of back in the day. You, you wouldn't even get out of bed for that in the morning, you know, the, today, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but back then it was really sexy. And so that there were a series of iterations um, over five years that we did um, to position ourselves to that ultimately became the exit. Yeah. Well, and the reason, one of the reasons I'm asking is I, I've noticed people sometimes have a hard time, myself even included, have had a hard time in business deciding if does perseverance right now look like bashing this wall with my idea till it breaks, or is this wall telling me that it's time for a pivot? even if it doesn't mean quitting, but, you know, finding a different strategy or, or, or a different offering or service. Do you have any, you know, personal philosophy around that or any way that helps you think about, is this something I need to bust through or is this a time for a pivot in the company? That's a, that's a brilliant question, right? I, I think one of the hardest things for humans to do um, is to truly listen, truly listen. Um, and when questions are asked, you know, maybe before you even start the business, if you're, you're asking questions of a target market or, or potential prospects, to ask the questions in a way that's, that's not leading, that really does mm. get you to what is the true answer? Like, what, what is the true pain? Like, the pain you might be solving might be five steps down the road, and that target market's just not ready for that. Yeah. They're not ready for step two, but not step five. And you might be trying to solve step five, which was, is extremely disruptive. Well, they have workflows in place and they have, you know, systems tied together. They're used to doing business a certain way. And I'll just go back to the, 
to the broadband scenario, if I had shown up in the first customers, you know, the first prospects door and said, Hey, I want you to give me permission to put a master head in here. And I'm going to go out and negotiate a deal with Ameritech and jump on their dark fiber and light that up. And then I'm going to drop it on other people's properties, um, you know, throughout the city. They would look at me like I was from Mars. Yeah. What are you doing, dude? (laughs) Yeah. But I, but the first pitch I went in with was, Hey, I want to build a private head in system on your property. Um, and I'm going to promise you, I will never drape a cable across the side of your building or across your sidewalks. That was all it took. That mm. was step one. So just an example of like five steps down the road versus the first pain point step. Um, and then, you know, and it's always not, it, it, that seems like a simplistic version, no. but, you know, but even with demand jump, we solve a lot of things. Um, and what we've realized is that, that, the entire platform is too much for many teams to digest on day one. And so that's why today, when we go to market, we just talk about one thing and we get you started on that, offer you a lot of value for a low cost. Um, and then when you're kind of ready for the next thing, you know, then you move up and you move up and you move up over time. And then kind of a year or two years later, you know, that customer is where we would love for them to be on day one, but they're just not, they're just not equipped to do it because they have, you know, teams in place that use, you know, pre-existing tools, pre-existing workflows. Um, and it's just too much to bite off at one time. For demand jump, does, is the starting place the same for every customer or is it dependent upon their needs? You have a different starting thing that you introduce them to in terms of your services. Yeah. We start them in one of two places today, depending on how they come to us. Um, so we, all of our focus from a marketing standpoint is on either content marketing or marketing attribution. And so most people get started with us on content. Um, and there's a reason for that we can talk about in a moment. But if someone does come through the front door, you know, think of we have two front doors. If somebody opens the attribution front door, well, then we'll, we'll start them there. Um, can you describe what that, I'm not familiar with what market attribution is. What is that? Yeah, so, so attribution is basically, um, it's how do I allocate, how should I allocate, let me back up one step. Um, are the actions I'm taking in marketing today, are they producing quantifiable pipeline and closed one revenue? Yes or no? That's question number one. Question number two is then, um, so obviously the result of that is if it's not, I stop doing it. If it is, I do more of it, right? So I take that budget and I reallocate. So that leads into the second pain point, which is how do I allocate my budget? Mm. How much money do I spend on content creation? What do I spend on paid search? What do I spend on programmatic? Or what do I spend on social or, you know, or LinkedIn specifically versus Facebook? And even business to business, you know, LinkedIn's not appropriate or Facebook may not be appropriate. Um, so it's how do I allocate that budget? And then I want to get into things such as, um, you know, is my content, right? So people today, marketers today don't know is that piece of content actually producing real revenue, closed one revenue or not? Are my organic search terms I'm going after, are those producing closed one revenue or not? If I'm running TV ads, people don't know if that TV ad is truly producing revenue. Is it producing conversion events downstream? So TV down to the spot level. Um, Or they don't have the ability to put everything in one place. So, you know, there's some attribution tools out there that only integrate with their own tools. Um, and so, whereas we truly integrate with any digital or offline or broadcast action you might be taking. Interesting. Attribution is extremely, can get very complex. Um, and then there's a new buzzword today called ABM, account-based marketing. 
Yeah. Um, in account-based marketing, from the data that we see, it's not a strategy in of itself. It is a component of, a, of an overall strategy. Um, so being able to isolate and looking at, looking at individual customer or individual consumer attribution versus being able to look at account-based uh, attribution uh, is critical. Interesting. Yeah, we had, we had Sangram on here uh, months and months ago, which is a big account-based marketing guy. Yep. Um, so uh, that's super helpful for me to, to learn what you mean by that. And, and so in, in trying to calculate what that's what I'm hearing, right. Is, is you guys are, are actually getting some kind of number, some kind of data around what is this dollar doing for you? Is it, is it actually generating a conversion? Is it actually getting attention? That kind of thing. Is that something that is as simple? It doesn't sound like it, but is that something you teach them how to do on their own and you're consulting them in that, or you're saying we have the ability to do that and we will calculate that for you. Yeah. So it's a SaaS subscription. So they, it's a software as a service subscription. Yeah. Um, so they get access to the platform and many of the integrations we can are automated, right? So, you know, if you're using, you can now tie together, you know, if your stack includes Salesforce and Pardot, or if it includes Salesforce and HubSpot or HubSpot only or Marketo. Um, so all of those things, and then Google ads, Google search console, LinkedIn, Facebook ads, Shopify, whatever type of sure. company it might be. Um, getting all that data in one spot and truly modeled together. So we believe integrations are commodity. So integrations for integration's sake are not interesting. Um, you have to model that data together and that all that data is disparate. It's very different. Mm. And so sorting all of that data and cleansing that data and getting it to talk with each other, right? Eliminating, truly eliminating those data silos and get all of your cross-channel data speaking the same language to then understand what's the true outcome, um, you can do it in the platform. All you have to do is set up, uh, you know, click the buttons and connect your tools. And then we have our own set of tags that our customers deploy for attribution. Um, so we pull in that granular data so we can track everything from end to end. So it's like closing the loop truly between sales and marketing once and for all. Because that, that loop is not closed and, and nine out of 10 companies that loop is not closed and maybe even 9.9 .9 out of 10 companies. It's a, it's a big pain point. Yeah. Well, speaking of the pain point, I want to just back up for a second. Then I, I really want to get back into the actual story of this business. But, um, you know, you talked about a passion for finding a problem, a passion for finding a pain point, which again, I think is, should be the backbone of any good business is there's an actual problem you're solving. Right. Um, do you think your personal skill or a way of approaching that is find a problem, then find an expert, right? Or find a problem and then become the expert. And the reason I ask that is because you just mentioned like 10 different industries, you know, we're in marketing now, we're in fiber cables over here, we're painting over here. And I'm like, are you taking the time in each of those companies you started to become the expert? Or did you go and find an expert and create a company around that expertise? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I often say I'm, I'm not I'm not smart enough to to do anything else. That's why I just start companies. Um, I, I go look for people that are smarter than me. Um, my I don't know if it's a skill set or not, but my my passion or, or what I tend to like is um, again I, I might look at or think about a hundred things before any given company, and you kind of sniff around and you know you peek your nose through a couple doors and it looks interesting and you peek behind the door and you're like, hey, I don't know, I'm not super passionate about that. Or maybe it didn't feel like a big enough problem. 
but when I lock in on something, I absolutely go just, I look for people who are much smarter than I am in the various disciplines okay. um, to go and try and solve that. And so I, I merely, you know, pitch an outcome like, Hey, could we do X instead of Y that's happening today? Could we do that? And could we do that economically? And how would we go about it? Do you think, you know, however you, if you start with one or two people or five people, you know, could you all kind of figure this out together? Yeah. And we go see if we can, you know, sell that and, and add value. Um, so definitely I, I, I do not try to become, um, you know, I'm not a developer by trade. I'm not an engineer or a data architect or, I think a lot of people think I am um, for whatever reason, because there's been a lot of tech companies over the last 20 years, but. Um, um, well, you're very knowledgeable. I mean, like just in you describing to me what you guys do in the marketing, that's the reason why I even asked is obviously you, you, you gain a level of expertise as you've been investigating the problem, as you've been talking with the experts, that kind of thing. Like you're clearly able to talk to me about the, the, the functions of the business and how that's serving the customer, right? But let's use demand jump as a case study. When you had the idea, you, you, you located a problem. I got 20 years of frustration around marketing. You get together with your, with your business partner. Was he the expert or did the two of you, and we mentioned like a year of R&D. Just talk, talk me through that. Like how, Sean, how did that yeah, Sean is, a, Sean is an expert. Uh, okay. Sean is... Um, again, he can, I mean, he, he knows enough to be dangerous from a coding standpoint, et cetera, but you know, by trade, he's not a, he's not an engineer or a data scientist necessarily, but he is an absolute expert in understanding how to pull disparate data sources together and to think about how to solve a problem in a different way. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of overstock's growth, I think is, is attributed to his way of thinking. Mm. And, and at a super high level, um, that involved, he valued data outside of his four walls more than he valued his internal data. So like, I, I think, uh, we, I think we both probably think of internal data. It's like business intelligence, right? Like it's not, I mean, sure. Do you want to have BI and understand how you can make your internal, your internal data more efficient and your processes more efficient? Absolutely. But that doesn't, that's not going to move the needle by multiples of X. What's going to move the needle by multiples of X is, um, is at a high level of productizing, you know, what he did, you know, back in the overstock days. Uh, so Sean, absolutely an expert, um, understands how to pull, you know, data that's beyond your view together. And, and then we went and found some people that are really good at math. We like to call it math versus AI. Uh, <laughs> And um, who are really good at math and how to yeah. apply that math in novel and unique and elegant you know, ways to solve, quite frankly, um, maybe even centuries old, for sure, decades old problems um, for marketers. And, and the, the, the one we lead with today is content. 90%, Drew, 90%, it's insane. 90% of web pages and blogs never get seen. Wow. Never get seen. So what if, what, I mean, how would we all feel if we went to bed tonight, all excited about tomorrow because 90% of our day, we're going to waste all of our effort. Dang. That would be really, that would be depressing. Yeah. And why is that happening? Well, 90% of all the world's data was created in the last few years, 
right? And, and you think about all the marketing tools, there's 8,000 marketing tools out there now to pick from. There's uh, over 120 different channels. You know, what's Facebook? Is it a social platform or is it a programmatic platform? What is Facebook, right? right? Mm. It's in essence, three, four, five channels in of itself. And so, so how would I engage with Facebook to get an outcome that I desire? Um, what, what, what is my target market? What's my prospect or my customer? You know, let, let's say I sell reading glasses. Well, mm-hmm. And let's say you want to buy reading glasses. I don't know what you're thinking, right? And so, you know, I can use tools like Google and, and other tools to, um, you know, look at search volume or look at what people are searching for or whatever. But the world is, and that's what marketers do today, right? They're, they're, they'll, they use tools that were kind of developed, you know, five and 10 and 15 years ago that quite frankly, just provide a bunch of data um, and kind of counts, like one, two, one, two, one, two counts of things. Mm. But here's my handy dandy prop. But the world is a network. The internet is a network that expands and contracts constantly, right? New competitors, competitors go out of business, new lines of business, uh, you know, population gets into the next threshold where now that person needs reading glasses or the next group is ready to buy some gaming console or um, somebody gets a job and now their, their responsibility is to go search for the best customer success software or whatever it may be, right? It's always changing. And those people go online and they put in words to the internet. And the buyer and the seller are not in charge of matchmaking. The internet's nothing more than matchmaking. It's match.com for people who sell goods and people who buy goods. Totally, yeah. That's that's it. It's that simple. So now, if I'm going to take an action or spend any time with marketing, in theory, the reason I market is because I want people to see me. Right? I want them to find me. Sure. Whether it's in a research, evaluation, or decision mode. And so what I think as a domain expert, if I make, you know, eyeglasses or I make some, you know, I built some software, what I think as a domain expert is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What matters is what does that target market enter in the form of questions and searches into the internet and some third party decides if I get, if we get match made or not. And that is, there are, uh, what billions of searches every year, right? And 22% unique ones every single month. That's, that's exponentially complex. So what Demand Jump does is, let's take content, for example. We know, we look at all the words that are happening around any given topic. And so a pillar topic could be reading glasses, customer success software, Ferraris, you know, SUVs, whatever. It could be more specific, like red ink pens, whatever it is. So we understand all those words and we understand, we build networks and we figure out that this question right here is much more important than all the questions in between this next question. And so these two questions are much more powerful and connected within the entire network of networks of the internet. Uh. So I should focus my effort on that specific question first and that one second and this one third. And it's much more efficient. It saves the marketers 50 to 90% of their time. Um, and then all they by, have to do- By creating content that speaks to that question so that they are now seen? Exactly right. And every time- I, have, 
every time our customers do this, their top 100 uh, results skyrocket. And then about one to two to three weeks later, their number one, their, their first page rankings skyrocket. How the, hell, how the hell do you figure out what those questions are? Math. Wow. Everybody asks us about data. And like what data is not, data is not the driver. Everybody has access to this data out there, right? Third party sources, et cetera. Um, it's math. It's, it's, it's understanding how to think about the problem in a different way. Uh, so let's take LinkedIn, for example. LinkedIn is nothing more than a network of people, right? In, in theory, business professionals, right? Or professionals, whatever, whatever they're doing. That is a network. And so when LinkedIn says, right, hey, Drew, you might know Toph and Sean and Sally and Jill. Well, how does LinkedIn know that? Because they built a network of these people. And this network's changing of relationships all the time. Yeah. And so they're suggesting, hey, you might also know such and such, right? It's a very similar concept. The, the, the world, the internet is a graph. It's three-dimensional. It is a network of networks. And any given topic or product or service lives somewhere within a network of networks. And we find that network, understand it, and then unwind it and say, these are the most powerful actions that you should take next across any given channel. What are the differences... I'm assuming there are, so correct me if there's not a difference, but in my head, it's really easy to imagine a B2C company in this example, right? Like the, I make eyeglasses. It would make sense that a normal person would go online and say, what are the most affordable eyeglasses or something like that, right? Yep. What about some of the more complicated, like B2B kind of businesses? What yep. would be an example of, are, 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 there, are there target customers actually searching questions often on, on Google or, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you find that data for like a B2B kind of company? Yeah, absolutely. So B2B is actually our focus. Um, so all of our efforts are, are focused on B2B. Mm. Uh, B2B companies and, and agencies that serve B2B, we treat B2C opportunistically. When it comes into us, you know, then, then we'll work with that company if, if, what, if what we're doing, you know, is their, one of their focus points. Um, so, you, you, uh, you hit on a point that, 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 that so there are, um, well, I'll kind of go through this in, in a couple of phases. So number one, um, we just went through a pandemic called COVID. Before the pandemic, McKinsey, there's all kinds of studies out there, but I'll just reference McKinsey study. Before COVID hit, um, one, third, one third of B2B marketing and sales leaders um, thought that digital interactions are more important than traditional interactions. So traditional meaning, trade shows, salesperson calling you, et cetera. Yeah. The data showed um, that nearly 70% of the buyers, the B2B buyers, 70% before the pandemic thought that digital interactions are more important than traditional interactions. Okay. Pandemic hits. And within a few months, McKinsey runs that study again. And all of a sudden the B2B sales and marketing leaders woke up and were like, oh my gosh, this digital interaction thing, maybe it really does matter. Huh. And so it's kind of common sense when you think about it, because what are, what are you and I's personal habits? Do you want to sit there and take sales calls all day? Or when you're interested in something in your professional life, you're still a consumer. We believe everybody's a consumer. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's personal or professional. Just because I walk into the office in the morning or walk to my desk in my house to go to work, doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm a different persona, 
right? I'm still a consumer. I still have questions. And so I'll just give you an example. Like, you know, I'm the CEO of a SaaS company and, and I've had multiple tech companies. I, I understand SaaS KPIs backwards and forwards. I still search on a quarterly basis, probably things in around, Hey, what are the best KPIs for SaaS companies? Because I'm just curious if things have changed or what are people talking about? Right. Yeah. I, I'm always curious. And so when we talk to sales and marketing leaders that are all in on ABM, they're like, no, I'm just going to pound, you know, Christopher Day is the CEO of Demand Jump, and that's a marketing tech platform. And so he probably needs customer success software, or he probably needs whatever, whatever they think I need. And they just pound me, right, with ads. Yeah. Or, or emails. I find it so annoying, and it makes me never want to talk to your company. <laughs> that's what I'm afraid of. And I don't think I'm any different. Yeah. So now when I'm getting serious about something, I'm going to go out and self-educate. And I don't believe I'm different. I believe I'm one of the nine out of 10 people that go out and self-educate. And where does that, how do you self-educate today? It's digital. Yeah. And so people ask really basic questions. They have very unique, basic like pain points that it's going back to the pain point we talked about earlier they may not be at the point of some quote unquote robust, you know, ABM and I'm not picking on ABM. I'm just using that as an example because we do have some sales and marketing leaders like, well, I'm all in on ABM. So I don't need to write any content because the customer journey doesn't really matter. Oh, okay. Mm. Okay. Um, if that's where people want to put all their, their eggs, then they're going to get beat. They're going to get beat bad. Because the companies that are focused on answering the questions that the target market is truly asking and understand how to organize in their content, how to, what specific questions to answer in what specific order, the keywords to include in each of those paragraphs with the right H1 tags, the right H2 tags, that is how they get seen because there's a referee, hmm. right? So we're merely two teams on the field. Buyers and sellers are two teams on the field. There is a referee. And if you don't understand the referee's rules, you will never win the game. So the referee would be the search engine, the platform, the right, the social tools, the search engines, right? The, the, the tools that people are using to try to get their message out there. If you're not aligned, because they're not catering to us as a company, they're catering to the end, you to the consumer, to the end yeah. user. That's who they cater to because they want, when you go onto their platform, they want you to have a great experience. And when you ask a question or do a search, they want to show you the best, most aligned results that are the closest thing matched to whatever you did. Yeah. That's what they want to do. That's how they're going to get a frothy marketplace. That's what they do. And that's what they should do. And so if I don't understand um, how to align to that better than my competitors, my odds of winning go way down. Man, that is so fascinating. Sorry, I'm looking up and to the left. You can't yeah. see me right now. That means I'm deeply thinking about what you're saying. Um, it took us years to figure this out. We didn't really get this figured out until last year um, and, and, and really got, the, the, got it productized in kind of December of, of just last year. It took us a long time to, to figure it out. Yeah. Well, okay. So that uh, I got two competing questions i'm going to start with the one that's the that's most recent to what you just said you mentioned taking into account the customer journey can you speak to that a little bit that sounds like it's something we could double click on 
and you could give us a little education on how you think about what you what you just called the customer journey. Yep. So let's say um, let, let's say I'm I'm ready to buy you know some piece of software. So so I'll ask some general question like you know. Um, uh, let's just take marketing attribution. And I'm just making this up at the moment. I don't have one of the the, the data pieces pulled up here in front of me. But um, so I might ask a question like, I might ask, what is marketing attribution? Yeah. I, I might ask, um, how do I build a marketing attribution model? I might ask, um, what components are required for effective attribution? Whatever. I'm just like, these are random questions, right? Sure. And so, so that's an example of, I'm just kind of researching. Like, I, I just kind of want to understand what, what should I be thinking about? You know, I'm, I'm just, that's very general. Initial research kind of stuff. Initial research stuff, right? Yeah. As I move towards decision phase, um, I might ask, um, uh, what are the best marketing attribution platforms? Or just best marketing attribution platforms? Yeah. Wasn't it my intent to get more real, right? Yeah. And so, so if, if someone's selling a solution that solves that series of questions, then they're going to want to have content that they've written that's on their website and structured properly so that I continue to be seen by that prospect throughout their natural customer journey and life cycle. Gotcha. So right. ideally, if you are the, if you are the solution you want to be one of the things they, that, you know, they, they saw an article from you on what is this? And then you also got mentioned on best platforms for this. And they're kind of continuing with you as you're helping them through that journey till they get to deciding on you versus the competitor. That's exactly right. We literally, I'm not making this up. We literally get calls from people on marketing attribution that say, I, we're interested in, a, in an attribution solution. And we've never heard of you guys, but you keep showing up in all of my searches. Wow. I had to call and find out how are you solving this? Because they, you know, there's, um, I don't want to mention attribution competitors, but you know, there's competitors and attribution out there. And, and, and we, we feel like we stack up really, really well. And we think we have some things that that they don't have yet. Um, But we're also more a newer company, right? We're a smaller company. And so, um, so when somebody from Australia, right, well, I'll just mention Visible, for example, right? Everybody's heard of Visible, Adobe bought Visible. So, you know, they're thinking in their minds, it's a large company and they're thinking, oh, you know, you don't get fired for, you know, hiring IBM concept. That's the old right. idea. <laughs> um, it's like, they just kind of assume, well, I'm going to buy Visible. And they start poking around though, to look at kind of some things. And, and then they're like, well, gosh, this company keeps showing up. Maybe I should talk to them. That's, that's a true story. And that's not just once, you know, once every year, it's, it's starting to happen rapidly. Mm-hmm. Man, you just mentioned something again, I, I can't even catch up with my questions, but you just mentioned something I've actually heard a lot as an example of a newer, smaller business trying to break into a market. Yeah. And there is sometimes that sentiment of the, the person on the other end thinking to some degree, I wouldn't get fired for hiring IBM but I might get fired if I take a chance on somebody I've, my company's never heard of. Right. How do you think about this? Cause you've been the up and comer so many times. Yeah. How do you, how do you overcome that objection in someone's yeah. mind? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it comes down to just um, 
people to people relationships and trust. Uh, there's another study out there that only 34% of people trust the companies that they buy products from. Wow. That's an insane number. Yeah. That's really low. And so I, I, uh, I, I like to refer to, um, Brad Rencher, who was the GM of the Adobe um, Creative Cloud, I think it was for 10 years. He, I think he was an omniture and then went through the exit and joined, you know, joined Adobe and, and he just did an amazing job over the course of 10 years, did a great job. And I, I don't know Brad personally, but, but uh, he was in town a couple of years ago and, and I made sure I sat in the front row because I wanted to hear what he had to say about his experience. And one thing that he said, I think is exactly right. Um, and, and so, so how do you break in to your question? Yep. That is why we have product-led growth today. That's why we have this new thing called product-led growth. That's kind of an offshoot of how SaaS companies grow. And, and his thought process is um, that, you know, 20 years ago, these companies started popping up. 20, 30 years ago, these companies like Microsoft or SAP or, um, you know, these companies started popping up. And those became the entrenched enterprise players, right? At large companies. And they were kind of the first tech companies of any sort to come about. Yeah. And so over time now, you know, fast forward to 2021, they are Salesforce as well, right? They're so entrenched into these companies and they've done so many acquisitions and bolt-ons, et cetera. And the workflow and the teams inside large companies those, those products are just embedded, right, in a workflow. Well, if you show up as a young company, a startup, let's say you showed up in, on, on day three of you found a company and somehow magically you solved everything in three days, but you didn't have any customers yet, or maybe you had three customers, and you show up at a Fortune 250 company and say, hey, we have this attribution solution, and let's, let's just say you're not even trying to sell the fact that it is. Let's just say it's way better than some entrenched 20 year player. That company's probably not going to rip out. Yeah. They got so many tentacles in there. Yeah, so many tentacles. They're not just going to rip out the attribution solution overnight. It's just not going to happen. So the way that you penetrate is you find something that is high value is simple to use and is cost effective and you get one person using it inside that company. And then you mm. get two, and then you get three, and then they invite their agency and then and it just grows. So what we've done, and this goes back to 2017, looking at the data. Um, so, you know, we, we used to go to large enterprises and, and try to sell a, an enterprise solution on day one. And that's very lumpy. Um, and, so looking at the, in about mid 2017, looking at the 2016 data, this concept of PLG was, it was very obvious from the data that this is real and this has legs. And so that, that, that's Brad's belief on why PLG exists is it's too difficult for startups today to, with an enterprise solution to navigate, go pen, penetrate enterprise companies with an enterprise solution. Okay. You have to eat the elephant one bite at a time. And that's called PLG product led growth. And that is a single feature, a single widget, a single thing that's cost-effective, easy to deploy, high value. And that's why today Demand Jump leads with content. And so we lead with content to say, hey, 90 oh, meaning out of the two front doors you guys have, the content service is that is that initial breakpoint? That's right. We really lead with that very specific 
pain point of 90% of web pages and blogs never get seen. So if, I mean, like literally, why do you have a website? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, yeah. If you've taken one minute to put one word on a website, then you are a potential customer of Domain Jump. And so um, we lead with that and they can start very cost effectively and they enter a pillar topic or a phrase that's very important to them. They enter that phrase in 15 minutes, it maps the world and it gives that user back the most powerful questions ranked in order. I'll just, and it gives a bunch of other stuff, but let's just pause here. It gives the most powerful questions ranked in order, however many there are. There's typically, we've seen them probably as low as 600 and as high as 2000, just for questions, kind of searches the same, the same, uh, the same scale. Um, and then you click, a you click a button and it says, get content outline. It provides you the content outline that says, this is the title, H1 tag, subtitles, H2 tags. Here's the words to cluster. So that's the science. Wow. So you don't execute using that science. You're going to be one of the people that 90% of your work, you might as well throw in the trash can. And it's, it's not the fault of the marketer. They just, there's no tools out there that tell you how to do this. I mean, there's, there's some old tools that you can go get some data for data sakes, but I haven't seen anything at least in the marketplace that says, if you're going to write a piece of content or you're going to create a web page, enter the phrase, click a button in 15 minutes, it will tell you structurally how to do it. That's the science. And then you overlay your art. That's your yeah. domain expertise. You don't yeah. with your domain expertise. You lead with the science overlay your, your uh, domain expertise. And that is a golden recipe. I, I am so pumped. This is so fun. Yeah. I, I'm a business owner. I have a podcast. I've got two things right there that, you know, I'm on that journey of your potential customer of saying, I, there's probably plenty of stuff I'm doing that's in that 90% never being seen. We were doing right? it. Too. Yeah, yeah. It, we were doing it. <laughs> this is right. I mean, we look at the content that we produce for the first four years of our business I, I, I can't remember the exact numbers. Atrocious. Same. From a ranking standpoint. Yeah. Um, we uh, One year ago, we launched Marketing Attribution Pillar. And we are now, um, I think we're now 550 top 100 results and right at 100 um, first page results for that ecosystem. Highly competitive. And we're, we, we're flipping back and forth between one other person for number one. Um and um, it, it's amazing. And content wow. marketing, in less than um, four months, um, I think we're on the first page now for, um, I can't remember. It's, it's a big, it's ramped from zero to dozens. Now, this may sound obvious, but I still just want to hear it anyways. Can you, have you been able to correlate that reality now, previous to four years ago, when let's say you weren't on any of those top 100 searches and that kind of, to, to actual revenue? Absolutely. So um, our, our, our month over month traffic has uh, increased over 11 X and our sales leads have increased by three X. Wow. And, um, and then now we, we were opening up the PLG side of it and we've got things, some in full disclosure. So if anybody listens to this and if you go try a free trial, just know that we're making that experience of a free trial, a touchless free trial better. Um, there's, it's a little clunky for the free trial part. But if we talk to somebody on the phone and show them a quick demo, they get it and they're off to the races. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those sales leads um, have increased by three X. And when we talk to somebody, our close rates, 59%. Holy cow. Chris, you're cooking with gasoline here, buddy. Yeah. Oh, sorry. 
Toph, not Chris. <laughs> I, I made the mistake early on. Man, this is so freaking fun. Um, I want to just make sure we get this on there. Where do people, if they're listening and they're, they're resonating like I am, wh- where do I send them? Uh, they can just go check out demandjump.com. Dot com. Uh, okay. And, uh, or go check out the, the demand jump on LinkedIn. There's a lot of videos on there. Um, but yeah, it's go to demandjump.com and they can poke around and, and they can either request an insight, uh, discovery report. And, and that'll, that'll cue uh, us to run something in the background and set up a call with them, or they can just go click the button and do the free trial. It's a 14 day free trial. Um, and they can just go try it that way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, man, this has been fascinating. Uh, my marketing IQ has gone up incredibly just talking to you wow. and, uh, you and I are about to talk offline more about what you do. So let me ask you before we go, these five lightning round questions. Yep. Starting with question number one, if you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Eliminate red M&Ms. Um, if I could expand on that just a little bit. Please. That's the saying that we have internally now. We, we talk a lot about eliminate red M&Ms and empower rock stars. Um, so the platform does a lot. It's easy to get distracted and to keep adding more features. The platform is insanely powerful. Let's make what's already in there easier to use. Let's improve the user experience now. Um, so that's that's our big current mantra in, inside of Demand Jump. And then I, I have to add three words. Um, and it's transparency, bold, and purposeful. Be transparent, be bold, be purposeful. Love that. What What's the connection to the red, M, red M&M? So there's an old story out there, and I think it was David Lee Roth. Um, he had, about their contract? Yeah. Okay. And everybody used to think it was because, you know, the arrogance or pompousness or whatever. And the reason they had that in the contract was it was all about safety. And so, you know, if you don't put the scaffolding in properly and, and, and put all the right bolts in and do all the right things, there's some real safety hazards, you know, pyrotechnics, you know, all these things. And so he knew when he showed up, if there wasn't a bowl of brown M&Ms sitting backstage, that people weren't paying attention to the details. Yeah. A whole series of events where he would make safety checks happen. I um, love that. And there's been real instances, right? Where artists and even fans, you know, have gotten hurt or killed. Yeah. And, and it was, it was all about, he knew that if that didn't exist, um, that there could be problems. Yeah. Yeah. We skipped ahead a little bit, but I was making sure that was the story we were referring to, but yeah, David Lee Roth artists have what they call like a writer which is like, here's what I request for the green room, for safety preparations, whatever. And he had this odd little request like way down in there that said, I only want brown M&Ms, no red M&Ms. And so what he's saying is when he walked into his dressing room every time, there would either be a a bowl of just brown M&Ms, which let him know they read every line of this, or it'd be mixed M&Ms or no M&Ms. And he'd, like you said, it would trigger, all right, guys, we got to go check everything. Who knows? what they what they did and what they didn't do uh man that is so brilliant i haven't heard that applied to a business context like this yet so that's really cool all right question number two what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your businesses and what was the worst so um take in capital when you can take in capital and don't worry about dilution that was the best advice yep why is that well, especially in tech, and this doesn't, it depends what kind of a business you want to have, right? And so if you want to start a lifestyle business, well, then you don't want to take in capital, right? Yeah. I have friends that have lifestyle businesses that are hundred plus million dollar businesses. They grew one step at a time from 25. Um, 
in in the world that that, that I live in, um, in, in, in many tech type SaaS companies, it's all about top line, top line growth. Yeah. And so you can only do that with capital. So makes sense. Right. And so the, the, you get rewarded for the higher, the growth, right. The more rapid the acceleration, the more you get rewarded, the higher the multiple. And so dilution is kind of irrelevant. It's kind of tail wagging the dog. Mm, man, super helpful. And, I, and I'm glad I asked because that distinction is really important. Uh, what about the worst? What's the worst advice you've received? Uh, don't start that business because it's already all been figured out and you don't know what you're doing and you'll never be successful because there's nothing else to ever figure out. There we go. I love that. Okay. Question number three, what causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, I think, um, growing fast enough and, and being able to promote and reward, you know, the rock stars within the company fast enough. Tell me about, tell me about that. What is it? What does that mean? It's, you know, we, we, we have, um, you know, there's just a lot of competition out there for people today. Like talent is number one, right? It, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you, you can have the best math or you can have the best whatever, but if you don't have um, a great team, then it's going to be tough. Yeah. And, um, and so it's just, you know, it's, the world's now opened up with COVID and I, you know, people's mindset has changed on remote working. Mine certainly has changed. Um, and you know, you're no longer, you know, just recruiting out of your backyard in those early days, right? You, you truly can recruit nationally now, maybe even internationally. Um, and so there's just a lot of competition out there for great people. And so, yeah. um, just, just keeping that flywheel spinning, right. Faster and faster. We're like, Oh, like gerbils on wheels. The faster you go, the faster you got to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> that's how I think about it. Uh, makes total sense. Okay. Question number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal? Billion dollar exit. Wow. Billion dollar exit. Yep. How many, how many years in that, in that, uh, goal do you give yourself? Um, I think we can, I think we can get there in five years. Wow. I think we could. Let's go. Hey, from everything you told me today, you, as much interest as you just got peaked in me, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. Awesome, buddy. All right, question number five. This is our fun, creative question. Take it however you will. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past, and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window as you drive by, when would you go back, and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? Um, I would go back to the, um, I would go back to the sixth grade and say, how old are you in the sixth grade? 12? Sounds about right. Um, I would tell myself, I would say six years is not very long. Don't let it get to you. Come on. Why middle school sucked like it like it did for everybody else? No, school was great. The home wasn't. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, the school school was great, but uh, but a lot of stuff from the home environment spilled into actions I did at school and et cetera. And um, and so I think because you know when you're at 12 years old, six years is an eternity. Oh yeah. Today, 
six years is like one week. <laughs> yeah. And, and the present is prison because you don't know about it. You haven't experienced future yet. This is all I've ever known. That's right. Wow. Well, man, I, w- I wish we could have gotten into a little bit of behind that question uh, earlier, <laughs> but it's cool to see you, man. Whatever you've been through, look where you are now. And even just your heart, not just your brain, like your heart is evident too, that you care about people. You care about these businesses you serve. And uh, it's really clear to see why you made the Inc. 5000 list and um, why you've been so su- successful in the past. And all indicators are the same is going to be true for the future. So Tof, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your wisdom with us. It's been truly uh, an honor. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. It was great to meet you. I enjoyed it. Same. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.